nih. Seeing Red the Pod, episode 41, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today is Melody. Hey, Melody, how's it going? Well, I am uh, wearing something that my husband described as a bad optical illusion. (laughs) Well, tell us about it. Well, I thought I was going to go ice skating today with a friend and her son and our sons were going to ice skate together and she has a teenage daughter. And so I was thinking that the teenage daughter would really enjoy being next to her mom's friend in an outfit that was way too much. So, so I wore an outfit that was way too much, but then they didn't even make it to ice skating. Like life happened and they didn't make it. I know. So now I'm stuck in this outfit. That's too much. And I guess just, I have to like, give it to you to enjoy but it's like a black and white striped just vertical stripes and a shirt Mm -hmm. and then it's like these geometric black and white striped skirt that's like kind of blurry and then black and white leggings that have skulls on them pattern mixing at its finest so it's a lot of it's a lot of black and white stuff it's a special it's a special is it comfortable Oh my gosh, I don't wear things that are not comfortable. Well, then what it looks like doesn't matter. And I think it's fantastic. What's going on in your life? Tell uh, me everything. I don't I don't know. Snow, lots of snow. Oh, I realized I hadn't left my house for like six days. I donated blood again, second well, that's time. that's less boring. I know, okay. it was very exciting. I'm excited also because I found out they're going to do uh, antibody testing. I would be very surprised if... I came up positive for antibodies being as I have not had any symptoms nor any significant exposure. So are they doing, can you not donate blood if you have antibodies in your blood? No, you can. Um, They would just prefer you to do the convalescent plasma donation um, Mm. because they treat people with that. Um, But that doesn't, I mean, if you've had symptoms um, within 14 days or been COVID positive within so many days, they ask that you do not donate. But after that, if they find out that you've um, had COVID, then they're going to ask you to donate plasma. So Interesting. anyway, I just, I just am proud. I didn't that, even think about that, about the yeah. blood supply in COVID. Like I just hadn't even yep. thought about anyway, that. Anyway, you want to hear the coolest things? Uh, the lady who uh, helped take my blood was a real chatty Kathy. And I learned something interesting while I was there. She said that they take the, you know, they process the blood in-house and then they distribute it to all of the area rural hospitals. And then after it's been there for something like 10 to 12 days, they pull it back and give them different new blood. And they take the blood um, to like Brian and the transfusion centers and um, some of the medical centers that use it rather rapidly. And that's how they ensure that none of the blood goes to waste, which I thought was really interesting. And that's how they make sure that if there's a traumatic injury or something um, that they have or some other reason why somebody needs blood, you know, 
immediately um, in the rural areas that they have um, the blood they need. Anyway, that was that really is neat. super interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is a little bit of a leap, okay. but your story kind of makes me think of the first thing I wanted to talk about tonight. And like, your story is such a great example of kind of the ecosystem of rural, urban, mm-hmm. how everybody has to work together, right? Um, so you're not going to be so, talking about Pete Ricketts. It will mm, not be. No, okay. Okay. You said working together and things. And so I No, no, no. I actually okay. like mean working together. So okay, good. Um, a big thing from this week that the entire nation was celebrating mm-hmm. was the no keystone pipeline i know no kxl oh my god it's all done there's been there's been it's so much done. so much relief i didn't even know how to deal with it and i'll be honest i saw uh jane had posted a facebook live about it and i was so afraid jane to Club, watch it who is yeah. the head of bold nebraska yep. and the chair of the democratic yep nebraska yep, state party yes she's also now and vice chair of the uh asdc midwest which what does that mean it's a i don't know so it's the association of democratic chairs and it's all the chairs of all the democratic parties across the nation and then they have voting seats on the dnc executive committee so now she's also a member of the dnc executive committee and yeah and so okay so i interrupted you to give a jane bio but like what did she post well, I was a real afraid to watch it because I was like so many of us and me not as much as so many people across our state and the nation that have worked hard for this, but so much has went in over years and years of work to stop this and to have it just be like, it's done. And like waiting four more years after they've already waited like 11 years, right? is just out of the question. Um, and so it's just, there was so much relief that I couldn't even watch the video. I had to wait like four days to watch the video. I'd already talked to her like three times before I watched the damn video because I don't know, too many emotions. It's been a lot of relief lately. What a lot of people don't realize is that along the route of Canada to Mexico, every single state except Nebraska got the pipeline routed through. Mm-hmm. All of them got mm-hmm. it approved. Nebraska was the only holdout state. And, you know, there are a lot of things that are bad about Nebraska politics. Almost everything is bad. So true. Right. Like, but, but the reason that there it's, there's so much to be hopeful about is that actually we can stop bad things better than other red states in the country. We actually can. And we have done that. Especially when you have diverse groups of people working together for a common cause. It's really powerful. So. Right. I mean, this is how I, this is why your blood story kind of made me think of this because it was such a great example of how rural people, um, Native American sovereign nations, um, environmentalists, agriculture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like every stakeholder. And then, of course, you have just your urban sectors who care about clean water yep. and things like that on clean energy. It just it brought all these different stakeholders together under a single advocacy cause. 
And I think that's really powerful. And I think when people are thinking about like, how do I make a difference? I always recommend people enter the world of politics through advocacy, like mm-hmm. finding something you care about because you can actually bring people together. Um, a party is just too large. And honestly, if you want to do anything incredibly impactful, you have to bring people from who are sitting at the table. And in our state, that's going to be a majority Republican table. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have, if you don't have the broad public support behind you, you're not going to get it done. And even if you do, you might not get it done, you know? So I think it's just such a good example of how it can look and how it can take. Um, and, Do you know, you know what else just, it was a good example of? What? How people can't use Google and post propaganda that they've heard without actually looking to see if any of it's true. It was like mind boggling. Well, people responding, they're like, oh, there goes our chance of the U.S. chance of energy independence. And I'm like, Canadian tar sands you know, risking our country to go to foreign markets has nothing to do with energy oh. independence. And it's just mind boggling. Or they're like, these no, thousands because- of jobs. I'm like, are you drunk? That's how any of this works. A simple no. Google search will solve that for you. I mean, the reality about pipelines is once you get a pipeline up and running, mm. it doesn't employ anybody. Huh. <laughs> it, it just, it's a tube. <laughs> and and you can see, like, I'm holding up my hands like a tube uh, of nasty, <laughs> toxic shit that just yeah. runs through your state. Yeah, there's that's no, going to leak. There's no jobs there. Right. And all right. the there- monitoring is done by sensors. The mm-hmm. sensors oftentimes break or they're ignored in states where pipelines leak. Um, it's, Which is all it's of not the a job creator. Right. Yeah. It's not a job creator. And the tar sands from Canada were not going to be used for American energy. Ever. They were just going to use American environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. Gonna get- it was no benefit in all the rest. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. No. Anyway, I'm so happy. No. I'm so happy. I have a no caxle sign right behind me. Yes. Not that any of you yes, can see you that, do. but imagine you can. It says protect our land, water, and climate, climate. no KXL. Yep. It's from the March. Mm-hmm. And it has a corn, a piece of corn growing <laughs> on it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was also a great example of, you know, bold Nebraska and then all the stakeholder groups that were part of the work. They were really creative in their protest methods. Mm-hmm. Super creative, like planting sacred corn every year along the pipeline route. Or or the and, solar spill on Art Tandrup's farm. Well, what does that mean? He has a giant solar array. They, I think there's three or four installations along the pipe pipeline route to catch the solar spills. So, you know. Like, tell us what a solar spill is. The sun coming out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> You know what else Art did that was beautiful during all of this? He deeded the land, um, part of his property back to um, the tribes um, that was the the Ponca Trail of Tears. That I think that was in the last year that that happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Art's magical. Well, and not only does that provide 
a symbolic gesture, right? Saying like, this is your land and I give this back to you. It all, so that's beautiful just on its face, right? But it also is really ingenious in that it creates a complication because sovereign, so Native American tribes are sovereign nations. And if you mm-hmm. donated it to the nation, now the United States has to deal with them in like an international diplomacy legal level. And so it I just mean, makes things more complicated. Right. They're supposed to. And we all know that that's not how the United States deals with the treaties. They don't honor them over and over again. Well, we'll that's that, true but, too. But you know. the fact that it was kind of like in the midst of his farmland mm-hmm. means he was watching it also. Yep. Right. It wasn't just symbolic. Like it's land that he's looking at all the time and that he is tending to and taking care of. And, you know, that, but that's what I mean about it's just creative and it is comprehensive and they came at it a million different ways. They were great at fundraising. They were great at um, building in, like getting people from other states to dump money into the effort because Nebraska was the last stronghold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really beautiful what happened. And I'm so glad. So, I think the entire state of Nebraska really, I mean, really just take a moment and just reflect that we, all of us, just the progressive movement of Nebraska, the rancher movement, the environmental movement, the native movement, the water movement, the I love cranes movement, (laughs) like whoever all these movements are, it was this collective effort. And I just, I think all of us in the last 10 plus years, maybe you went to the concert with Willie Nelson, Mm -hmm. maybe you donated money here or there. Maybe you used their slate card for voting. Maybe you went and planted punka corn. Maybe you did some other things, right? Like, I think we all were part of it in either a small way or a big way. And it is just something we can tell our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, we protected the earth. We protected this whole continent in Nebraska. And I think that cannot be underplayed. I mean, I don't think you could, no, I said it wrong. You, it cannot be overplayed, right? Like it's a big, big, big deal. And we did it in Nebraska. Iowa didn't do it. Kansas didn't do it. South Dakota didn't do it. Colorado couldn't do this. This isn't something New York made happen. Mm -hmm. This isn't something California made happen. They didn't get this done in D.C., right? This was because Nebraska was politically savvy, creative enough, had the best lawyers in the country. That's why we did this in Nebraska. That's how powerful we are. Even though we live, we don't have a a voting block to make good things happen Mm with the policy table um, often. But we do have the populist spirit to stop really the worst stuff on earth. Mm-hmm. I know on inauguration day, I was like, yeah, this is great. I and mean, those are nice presents you're getting. Can you get to your office? We've got three senators. <laughs> to, we've got three senators to swear in and you need to sign that executive order. I was like, you know, piss, piss, spit spot or whatever Mary Poppins says. I was like, get at it. So 
suddenly like anyway. president biden opens up his carpet bag you know yeah. and like right <laughs> like with like the it's like right. kind of uh brownish with the flowers on the side right. uh, my grandmother right, right. got me a set Pulls of luggage healthcare. yeah my grandmother got me a right. set of luggage that looked like that when i graduated high school and i still use it and i love it actually i can oh, always grandma. find it when Aww. it is spinning um and then he pulls out this giant comical pen <laughs> Right. And then mm-hmm. the scroll of executive orders that just goes down the steps right. of the Capitol. Right. Undo all the things. <laughs> Let me sign it with my giant comical pen. I, yeah. You know, like when your parents would go on vacation like, without you and bring you back yeah. the uh, souvenir pencil, but you yeah. couldn't sharpen it because you weren't allowed to use right. knives and your pencil sharpener yeah. wasn't like two inches wide. Right. That's what I wish I, he would have done as a funny, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it wouldn't have been funny. I don't know, but anyway. in my head, it's hilarious. Yeah. You know, that was only like a week and a half ago. <laughs> it's find it hard to believe. I was like, that was only a week and a half ago. That was like 8 billion Bernie memes ago. Right. And GameStop was only worth like 25 cents. What's going on? The world is changing. What is going on? What is going on? <sighs> what Changing else has been going on? That we can handle. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about, so we talk about this uh, every year because it comes up every year. But like, I want to talk about why the phrase school choice is nonsense. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean what people think it means. It doesn't mean what people think it means. I think people think it means they should get choices about their children's education and they understand in the public system that it is very rigid and there are very few choices and they don't like that. And that makes sense to want more choices in your children's education in your public system. It makes sense. But that's not what they mean when they say it politically. So when you hear that phrase in a political, coming out of a politician's mouth or an advocate's mouth, what they mean is defund your schools. They mean Mm -hmm. defund your schools. Mm -hmm. Um, And they mean we want rich people to get tax breaks at their favorite Catholic schools. That's really at the, the heart of what they mean. And then the way they do it, and we just saw this last week in Nebraska, is they bring out all of these people who have been intentionally failed by a white supremacist system. And so we saw all these people um, and many of them, if maybe even all of them, uh, we saw people of color coming in from Omaha saying, we want tax credits to send our kids to private schools because OPS sucks is basically like what they were saying. And they're not wrong about the things that they know are true. I'm like one of Ernie Chambers' earliest wins, one of his earliest political wins was getting the federal government to come after Omaha public schools back in the 60s or 70s because they were so racist against the North Omaha schools. And of course the North Omaha schools are all redlined to Mm -hmm. be the way that they are. And people understand that. People understand that it's not fair that their kids have to bus out um, way out of town 
or way away from their neighborhood to get to the kind of schools they would want to send their kids to. And they understand that people out in West Omaha move even further west so that they don't have to share the same schools with black children. Yeah, because like black families understand that they're not stupid. They know that white people wouldn't send their kids to the schools in their neighborhood. And so why would they want to? I mean, I get it. I get it. But, but what you end up actually doing when you go down this road is you end up defunding schools and now you exacerbate the problems you already had. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually fix any problems. So I think it's an interesting issue because I think um, on one hand, on the progressive side, there is such a fear of saying that anything is wrong with public schools uh, because we know it will be used as political bait. Mm-hmm. So we can't say that, but we also know there are problems, right? Like there are problems, but we can't address them because anything we say is a problem gives the right to say, well, that's why we have to defund them. That's why we have to take away all their money. And like, I just think like it's just this sick like political cycle and uh, the, the people that lose are the children. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you there's a huge attack on schools this year between the funding bill that was passed last year, the additional legislation that Ricketts wants to shove down our throats this year, and then this school choice bill, which I'm going to be totally frank with you, looking at the votes, I'm worried about that voucher voucher proposal that's coming through. I'm less worried about redistricting than I am that voucher proposal, just so that we're totally clear on that. So... Um. Yeah, I could see that. I'm definitely more worried about redistricting because I feel like that's more permanent. Bad legislation you could possibly undo, but bad redistricting. It's 10 years. Oh, that is bad. We're in a better place when it comes to redistricting now than we were 10 years ago. And we have enough votes to potentially filibuster anything really terrible. I feel like the delegation's pretty strong. And... So and you know we're seeing some independence from the governor already early on in the legislature but I don't want to be enough. too um I don't want to be too Pollyanna about that because at the end of the day we still are in a state where um Republicans around the country aren't sure yet if they still want to support Donald Trump. Mm. And that's true of Nebraska Republicans too, right? Like so I don't got to put any eggs in their basket. No. I just saw some signs that like maybe we'll see something kind of reasonable sometimes, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But I think that is, I just, this whole thing about like school vouchers, it is, it is so toxic Mm -hmm. and it, and there really are, they really are directed at Omaha. This is all about Omaha and everybody knows it. So if they're going to do vouchers, are they going to, take the special treatment away from district 66 and Millard. Like, well, Well, that's the thing about Omaha, right? Like when you look at Omaha public schools, which is where a lot of the advocates are based from, especially Mm -hmm. when they, because they want to say it's not racist policy because look, we have people that support it that are from the community. You say it's harming, but when you look at Omaha public schools, 70% of their students are not white. 
and they have two special little tacks. And, and it's Omaha. Others. And you yeah. know that 70% of Omaha is not people of color, right? right? So what that tells you is all of the white families pulled their kids out of the schools. And, um, and then, yeah, we have District 66, which is in Omaha, and it is completely surrounded by OPS. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so they keep all their well-to-do money in their well-to-do mm-hmm. district. And then Millard, that is not a city, folks. That is Omaha. Yeah, but they, they have, have their, their own, own school district. Yeah. And then you have Elkhorn, Bennington, La Vista, Papillion. I mean, La Vista and Papillion are a separate county, so it's a little different. But, like, you have this whole kind of thing around Omaha where all the white flight happened. and And then the majority of the senators in the state look at Omaha and go, look, we have to, we have to ruin the schools because the schools are bad. Even though like white people broke it, white people broke it. And they're like, instead of making schools better, we just want to uh, make the problems worse because we want, it's really ultimately about white comfort and white money. It's really gross. It's super gross. Mm Mm-hmm. It is super, super gross. So I don't know. I just think it's important for people to kind of think through that. But I also, I understand when it is, you're like, I have a child right now and I need my kid in a good school right now. And I don't really have time for reform. So I support defunding because I got to help my kid right now. I I do understand that. Um, And I don't have a simple answer for how to solve that. But we can't defund schools. Maybe we just need to tax the rich more. <laughs> I mean, it always just comes back I'm to a that, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just tax the rich more. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, it's it's a it's just not what they're talking about when they say school choice. They don't mean choices for everybody. They mean mm-hmm. choices for the white families that have already left the OPS system, right? Yeah, they're doing a lot of that in the ledge this year, like saying one thing, but it means another thing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's like fancy tag words. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Kind of gross. Super gross. Um, one thing that was somewhat, it would be funny if it wasn't so serious, but like watching landlords show up and say the quiet part out loud. Mm-hmm. There was a whole day of housing policy. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the bills were so reasonable. Like, let's not uh let's not overcharge on late fees. Like, let's make some kind of state standard mm-hmm. so that people don't get evicted over fees, right? Because that is one of the ways that being poor is expensive. Because people who have financial, I don't know what the right word is. They like oversight over you or something. They like, they control you financially in some way. Mm -hmm. They tax you to death with fees. So banks do this um, and landlords do this. Yeah, everything does this. Insurance does it. You get an insurance score that is built mildly around your credit and so like right and then it costs more it costs more to borrow money if you're poor yeah it's very expensive to be poor so the landlord showed up and 
I mean, one guy, one guy showed up who said, well, I don't charge anywhere near the cap you're talking about, but I just want the option to do it if I feel like it in the future. That's why I'm opposed to this bill. What? What a jerk. What? I mean, these people are terrible. They are terrible. Um, one landlord was talking about um, renting to young people and said, you just can't take a chance on youth. What? Because apparently if you're 18, 19, 20 years old, um, you don't deserve to live somewhere that's safe and affordable, hmm. I guess. I'm not sure what he meant by that. Um, like, it's it's nuts. Um, one, not one, lots of the landlords were worried that if you give people who live in homes that they don't own right? Like renters, if you give renters any sort of legal protections, they're going to abuse them. They said this unironically, coming from an industry that has been evicting people. I think one of the worst cases I heard was in Omaha, and the woman had just had a newborn baby, and they evicted them. Wow, that makes me sick. Yeah. And, and so this class of people, the landlord class, right, they're worried that people like that had just had a new baby might abuse their privileges if they actually had any legal protections to have a safe and affordable place to live, or they had some sort of legal rights in court. Um, I just, it was, Senator McKinney, he was great. He mm -hmm. was really great. Um, I've been really impressed. And he asked, yeah, he's uh, he's clearly been doing his homework before these bill hearings, which is nice to see. Um, it's pretty rare to see that, honestly, of senators. Um, Carol Blood, she's another one that I, I always, she asks the most interesting questions because she's done so much research before her hearings, and it's just rare. So I hope uh, Senator McKinney keeps that up. But he asked a landlord, he's like, what do you think we should do about slumlords? You know, like you don't like any of these protections that are we're trying to put in place to address slumlords. Uh, what do you think we should do, right? If you don't like these things, kind of what's your idea? And the landlord tried to make the case slumlords weren't a real thing. Hmm. And then, of course, Senator McKinney was like, okay, that's nonsense. Um, I, I mean, I... I have personally seen this kind of thing with my own eyes. This happens in my community a lot. You're not saying something that's true. So then the guy goes, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it happens. I just don't like the way you wrote the rules. And I don't have any solutions. So I'm opposed. What? <laughs> no, no. That's, no, you don't get to... That's not how you play governance. You don't get to say, yes, we all agree there's a problem. I provide no solutions, but I block all yours. Right. That's not how it works. That's not how we play. I just saw um, there's the COVID relief jobs, however they're packaging it, happening in D.C., right? And Biden, they're probably just going to push it through the budgeting process where they only need 51 votes. And that's fine. So they're going to do that. And 10 Republicans are setting up a meeting with Biden with a plan. 
the Republican plan. Right. Which I thought was surprising because Republicans most of the time don't ever have a plan at all. They just want to um, fuck up your plan, but like not bring a plan of their own. So that's usually their MO. So I was surprised that they had a plan. What I was not surprised about though, that uh, Ben Sass and Deb Fisher, they're not included. They're not part of the 10 senators. Um, because much like these landlords, Ben Sass and Deb Fisher, they don't actually want to govern anything. They just want to prevent the government from governing so that the government can fail so that then they can open up the door to their rich friends and say, look, hey, come on in and fix all these problems we created. Mm -hmm. Much like they've done with Omaha Public Schools. Much like they always do. Right. And I don't know the state of Omaha Public Schools like in this moment, but was it five years ago? Ish? Omaha Public Schools was such a mess that they had their superintendent search. They had three candidates that they flew in to interview for the job of superintendent, I believe it was. All three of them quit the job search because OPS was so awful. Like it just was mismanaged in every which way that people are like, I don't even want to work here. What kind of, what is this district? Right. Ass. And then they left. Um, that wasn't very long ago. So I can't imagine there, maybe there's been some reforms since then, but I don't think it's, I'm sure there are still problems. I'm five years is not enough to fix the problems that run so deep mm -hmm. that the federal government was after them in the seventies. Like if they took that seriously, we would actually not be seeing the same problems that we're seeing today. Uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's a whole thing. It's, it is a serious problem that we are, that we are treating these children as they're somehow, I just, I just, I don't even have the right words for it, but it makes me, it makes me mad. It makes me think about when we talked about to Monica Gross and they're, um, I'm kind of on my high horse right now, like pontificating, but like when Monica Gross was talking about how they had these, this kind of like effective, um, maybe some problems, some kinks to work out, but generally effective foster care system that was all Nebraska stakeholders. And then they outsourced it to Kansas for basically no reason, right? They said it was 40% cheaper, but now they're 40% short. So actually there was no cost difference. It's actually going to cost, then, I think last, last I saw, I think with the additional funding that had to be pushed through, I think it's going to end up costing like $11 million more than Promise mm -hmm. Ships bid, which the, those were the costs they had been functioning at. Right. So it's actually going to end up costing more. And I'm sure it created a lot of trauma and distress with the families that were being served, especially the at-risk children. Well, and, and so what I just finished listening to this episode at, uh, through Reveal Investigative Reporting mm -hmm. about for-profit uh, services for this, for the, um, for the children. Uh, that are using child welfare, child welfare services. And it was horrifying. And I am telling you right now, this is how the Republican playbook works. You have to see the long game. So they, first, they move Nebraska services to a Kansas-based company. 
that doesn't give a crap about Nebraska. They're not, they don't live here. They don't work here. They don't care at all. Right. So that's what they do first. Then that's going to get messed up. And we're going to have no choice than to go to one of these like for profit kind of companies. And, and you can just see the way that they are moving towards saying like, we care about children who are at risk and we're trying to help families. It is not that far of a leap between that and then what they're moving to, which is children are commodities Mm -hmm. and they're profit sectors for equity companies, because that's what a lot of other states do. And Pete Ricketts has made clear that is his end goal is for everything to be like a business. And that means letting private equity companies run things that should be state services. Right. And that is what they want to do to public schools. Yep. They don't care. They don't care at all. It's, it makes me so mad. <laughs> it makes me so mad. I could gripe about this for the next like two hours for sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that the uh, federal administration is going to make it so that for-profit prisons, um, federal prisons are off, off the table. So... Yeah, I was kind of wondering like how that is going to work. I mean, and I don't I'm That's up. That's and, off my pay grade, man. I know. If there's a listener and you know who knows, I have questions. Like I mm-hmm. want to know how do state prisons work with federal prisons? How does money move between the two? Are state prisons doing services that federal prison money is paying for. And now they're not going to be able to be private anymore if they want that federal money or like, how does this all work? I have questions. Listeners, if you know somebody who knows this information, if it's you, we would like to talk to you because I have questions. Stephanie has questions. We don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't know. All right, Stephanie, tell me something good. Anything good. Uh... There's this place called Georgia's Cheesecake, Gloria's Cheesecakes here in Lincoln, and she will deliver, not her necessarily, they will deliver a cheesecake to your door. It's locally owned, and that is good. And right now, I think there's like, buy a heart-shaped cheesecake for full price, get one for 10 bucks or something. Anyway, I don't even know Gloria, but I do know her cheesecake's magical. Uh, Let's back up a second. Yeah. A local baker in Lincoln. Uh Uh-huh. It's just churning out cheesecakes and dropping them off at people's front doors. They're magical. What? Have you eaten one? I have. Oh my gosh. It was so good. It was so good that Shelby's like, can we have cheesecake for breakfast? And I was like, yes, yes, we can. Well, (laughs) I usually get my cakes from Poppy Fox Bakery in Lincoln. She's also fantastic. She is. She is. But I might, I Mm. might have to stray and try a cheesecake. Mm. That sounds... Hmm. Maybe that Gloria? wasn't the good you were looking hmm. for. I mean, that's what I got today. <laughs> no, it is. It always is. <laughs> it always is. I love that. Uh, okay, that's phenomenal. You need to tell you something bad. Yeah. Pete Ricketts yeah, is governor. Go oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst, you guys. He's trying to kill us all. He's like, FEMA, you want to help with the permanent vaccination center? No, thanks. Yes, no. Well, extra, you know what? Extra might, money for people on food stamps. Nope, no food for you. <laughs> what might end up being good? It's too early yet, but like they, so the next 
likely stronghold gubernatorial is Charles Herbster. And he is a billionaire, made his money from bull sperm. So just, just let that marinate in you no. for a minute. No, no, not oh. anywhere near me. <laughs> and it's not happening. No, no. So, please, but, please but don't ever say thing. that again. Okay, here's the thing. Mm-mm. He was in D.C. with Donald Trump the night before the riots. Yeah, gross. And then he told the Omaha World Herald he went home right after that. It just came out. He lied. Shocker. Why did he lie? It turned out he actually went to Mar-a-Lago after that. And so here's why this might be good news. This might be good news uh, for Nebraskans generally, because probably, again, we don't know. I'm just, this is just all speculation and conjecture, but there is a likelihood that he was part of those capital riots in some way, either he was mm-hmm. funding them, maybe mm-hmm. helped fund people to come out. Mm-hmm. Maybe he helped, like he knew what the speech was going to be. Um, you know, it's not clear. It's not clear for sure, but uh, I am certain that the FBI is looking into it and looking into him. And it would be, it would be very nice if the only other billionaire that is a contender got knocked out of that gubernatorial race. Because if Pete Ricketts was just as evil as he is, but wasn't a billionaire, he would be less effective. So even if the policies were the same, the neutral, the money is what gives him the power, the ability to threaten senators and say, I will fund your opponent, which he did, which he did, Mm -hmm. he has done many, many times and made those threats, he wouldn't be able to do that. He wouldn't be able to say, if you vote my way, I'll fund your campaign, right? If we had a governor who didn't have that unlimited cash flow from their daddy, then that would be good. So cross your fingers uh, and hope that guy gets knocked out of the race. Just a governor with a soul? We don't even have to agree on everything. Just a soul. The problem... The problem here is that the governor's race is a partisan race. And so all you need, the Democrats do not have a strong enough electorate to, to get their candidate to win. I, it's not going to happen in two years. We'll all hope we'll rally behind somebody, whatever, fine. But like real talk, the next one's going to be a Republican too. We just, we don't have the electoral stamina at this point we don't we just don't have it um i don't see a path prove me wrong all the politicos out there please i'm happy for you to prove me wrong but i just don't see it but so all you need to be the governor is you need to get 25 percent 26 percent 25.1 percent of the republican primary so if you can get your most extremist republicans to come out and vote for you you only need half of those votes And then you basically win. You basically win in Nebraska if you can get that Republican primary. So those partisan elections are, I mean, they really hurt. They hurt a a state like ours. They really hurt our state. Mm -hmm. We need ranked choice voting. Yeah. Because if we had ranked choice voting, then the 
you know, the Democrats could help pick the least terrible Republican. Ugh. All those. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like even if it was just nonpartisan, it would pull the Republicans to the middle because they need progressive votes to win. They couldn't just play to their base. They'd have to play a different game. They'd have to play to the middle. Right. Which is how the legislature works. That's why like we often get centrist people elected um, because they need half the votes. So they have to play to the center, not just half of their party's votes. So I don't know. Uh, That's all I know, though. I'm not an expert. We should get someone in here to talk about ranked choice voting, though. That would, I don't know a ton about that. There's like a new little group of people that are talking about ranked choice voting. and Yeah, I always but, wonder, where do those little groups of people get their money from? I, I don't think they have any money. They don't have a single paid person. It's just like a Facebook page. No, I mean, it's like a group of people that meet once a month. Oh, well, okay. I should probably know the name. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I've seen... Week. I've seen it on Facebook, something like a, I don't know, it's like ranked choice Nebraska or something like really very yeah. obvious when you see it, what it is, but I don't know. Um, okay. Well, I want to say I'm reading a new book. Let's hear it. I have not finished it yet, but I already am super into it. It's called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Keed. It has the Reese, Reese Witherspoon kind of book club stamp on the cover, which is one of the reasons I picked it for the library. It was just a random library book that I picked, but it's pretty good. Uh, it's a fun read. It's so far, it is about this nanny who she's working for this you know, like bougie progressive family, but, and they're, and it's like about her relationship to the family and her relationship to the world and like how the woman, the mom of the family is viewing her and it's I don't know it's interesting and I don't know where the plot of the book is going but if it was a movie I would probably like it it reads like a movie I don't know mm-hmm. I really like it would say if you're looking for an interesting read such a fun age it was pretty good I'll put it in the show notes thanks Melody yeah for sure it's nice to be reading I haven't read in a while <laughs> I feel like my brain's been so taxed and I've been mm-hmm actually been reading lately my kindle just told me i've read seven days in a row good job kindle (laughs) so you know we're getting things done over here i'm uh reading my my little girl likes to read two chapters out of her chapter book and then uh we read her a little bit of harry potter every night so that's been our adventure over here we read the first two a fun thing you can do with harry potter is like every chapter is basically a scene in the movie mm-hmm. and so we would read the chapter and then go find the scene on youtube so this oh, is kind of fun. fun yeah yeah that's kind of a fun thing you can do but all right well okay. we'll talk to you next week lady next week take care of you you too bye. bye you've been listening to seeing red nebraska politics from the left Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.